hello and welcome to the 10th edition of Behind the Scenes of Happiness. I'm your host, Christoph Spiesens. Today I talk with Kirsty Lewis, who is the founder of the School of Facilitation. We'll talk about owning and transcending our brilliance blockers, exploring how we can become more than just knowledge experts, making sense of our facilitator identity changes, but also the spiritual aspects of facilitation, including self-protective energy management and space clearing, and why ski lifts are a great place for transformational conversations. Enjoy. Really excited to talk with the wonderful Kirsty Lewis, who is the founder of the School of Facilitation, and she's also a massive snow and ski fan, but we'll talk about that later. Kirsty, welcome to the podcast. How are you? I'm very well. Thank you very much. Hello, everyone. Perhaps we should start a little bit with unpacking the School of Facilitation, because it sounds quite big. Would you enlighten us a little bit, please? <laughs> so School of Facilitation is a she. For some reason I call her she. She came to be four years ago in that I have always been incredibly passionate about how workshops and learning are designed and delivered. And 11 years ago, I'd left the world of corporate and set myself up as a freelance trainer and coach. But then five years ago, I decided I wanted to be doing more of my own work. And I'd always, if you look at any of my workbooks where I write notes, even when I was at Diageo, I would write about what made a brilliant workshop. And that's where the School of Facilitation really started. And if I'm really, really honest, it might sound grander and bigger. It was just a name that I really liked the sound of. Mm -hmm. And no one had it on, as a website and no one had it at Company's House. And that was the deal maker. <laughs> it, well, often it is, and I reckon it is for many of us when we're uh, looking to set up our businesses. Has anyone else got that name? And how often does our heart sink when you do Google with much anticipation and excitement the name of a new project and you go, like, oh, balls, <laughs> it's already Yeah, there. yeah, and someone else is. Absolutely. So that's where SOF came from, in uh -huh. that it was a, a complete passion. And weirdly, I was talking this weekend with a friend and she was like, what did you want to be when you were growing up? And I said, a teacher. I mm. said, except when I got to university, I realized that actually teachers have a really tough time of it. And I decided I'd go into the world of business instead. But now I feel like I've probably fulfilled that childhood desire because I get to work with lots of awesome mm -hmm. adults and coach and develop them in their fields of speciality. I was going to ask, so who do you train at the School of Facilitation? Is it a, an eclectic mix of... Yeah. <laughs> really good question. So there's two sides of the business. There's practitioners and there's corporates. Mm -hmm. So we work with the corporates in a couple of areas and this might surprise a few people. So one, I work with corporates in their sales teams, growing and evolving salespeople. So we either help create sales academies for big corporates mm -hmm. or we coach sales managers to be better sales managers. Um, and we work with teams using tools like Insights. Also in corporates, we do a train the trainer and support the in-house facilitators and trainers to grow their capability to stand up, manage meetings, workshops and events. Um, and sometimes we get asked, can we come and coach people on how to design learning? So that's quite exciting because that's all the corporate world. And then the other side, I work with practitioners and mm -hmm. practitioners to me are people who are 
coaches, trainers, facilitators, and many of us work for ourselves and have our own businesses. And on that side of the business, it's often about, you know, how do you deliver content? How do you design content? Going deeper with yourself and having some one-on-one coaching or maybe joining one of the retreats, which can be up a mountain or in a field. And I would imagine that the latter category, the facilitators and the people who are self-employed or often they are self-employed are attracted to an initiative such as the School of Facilitation because not just for the purposes of fine-tuning their skills as a, as a trainer or a coach, but perhaps also for the social aspect of that. Mm. Am I right? <laughs> you are good, good and well read. So we host quite a few events. So on a monthly basis, we always do a free online webinar, and that's a place to come and connect. Either listen to a really cool speaker who we have as a guest or we do an open circle so people bring their own problems or issues and you know come and discuss it with like-minded people who actually get it and you don't have to sort of sit there and explain yourself numerous times we also do quarterly gatherings where we do face-to-face conversations practice play sharing learning and then Every Christmas, I also do a Christmas lunch because when I first started working for myself, if there was one thing I missed, it was that coming together at Christmas time, just be able to have a a roast lunch. Mm -hmm. So to celebrate, I have this image, Christoph, of many of us sitting on our own with like a party hat on our head, um, a drink of choice in our hand, (laughs) and one of those party pooper things going, (laughs) you know, just going, yay me. But it's so much more fun when you can celebrate with other people and just chew the fat. Absolutely. And Secret Centre, right? I mean, who's going to give you... You know what? We've never done Secret Centre. Oh, well, there you are. That's what we need to do next year. Thank you. You're quite welcome. You, You, and and I get this from looking at your website and LinkedIn content that you very kindly share with the world, you talk about owning our brilliance as facilitators. What are some brilliance blockers in your opinion what are some of the yeah the blockers that you come across in your work with fellow facilitators oh good question so it's never going to be about their expert knowledge that they bring so we always have fields of knowledge that we play in often it's the blockers i notice are i don't know where to start especially so new to well facilitators and trainers mm-hmm. i don't know where to start if i was to design content the other thing people often get in a pickle with is their own head. <laughs> so we get in the way of ourselves. And many of us can probably relate to the analogy of you have the angel or the demon sitting on your shoulder. So mm-hmm. your beliefs. So sometimes it's like, yes, I can do this. And I know exactly how I'm going to approach the situation, the angel. Or there's other times where, I don't know, you're about to stand up and do a workshop and suddenly all those inner voices flood you with a fear and a worry. Mm -hmm. And you're like, oh, I don't know what I'm doing here. I'm going to be found out. And that then leads to other behaviors as you then go through a workshop. So you start doubting yourself. Therefore, your language shifts, your body language shifts, your energy shifts. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that can be one of the main things, a couple of the main things that can cause people blockage. And as you say, their brilliant self. So it's quite a therapeutic process, I would imagine. It's, it's holistic in that you, you really encourage people to get under their own skin a little bit and get uncomfortable and vulnerable and work with all of the energy, really. Yeah, and I've started to know 
personally through personal experiences that um, you have to keep growing yourself as a human. Um, if you're going to be a facilitator or a trainer or a coach, you can't just go and say, oh, I've got a bit of paperwork here that gives me the official status. I don't know, IA, the International Association of Facilitators or International Coaching Federation, and you've got your stamp of approval and I'm a content expert in leadership or marketing or sales. I think that's where we often start, but I think you then have to carry on and evolve yourself because if you stop growing yourself, you'll stop growing your business. Mm-hmm. And when I say you need to grow yourself, I think it's becoming more, um, it's becoming that self-aware. So it's still doing your own work and having your own coaching or therapy. I think there's something about physical work as well. Mm-hmm. So our bodies are real instruments in what we do. And, I'm, and I know you know that. And if you don't look after yourself physically and notice how you eat, sleep, drink, do you do exercise? Do you have an embodied practice that keeps you attuned mm-hmm. and helps you? I also think you need to be aware of your emotions because emotions can definitely get in the way of work. And I've learned by my own mistakes. And I also think there is this piece around if you are a, an expert in an area, it's staying current with your knowledge and mm-hmm. staying current with the, the thinking and even putting new thinking out there. Absolutely. So I think those are some core blocks that we need to be aware of to help ourselves to keep growing. There is a message on your website, Kirsty, that I also want to bring into the conversation, and it's a little bit longer it's a statement that you shared with your readers and i'm going to read out to our listeners because i feel it's going to give us a lot of juicy content to talk about uh, don't worry this this is where <laughs> i'm going with this in the past i would compromise my needs of learning and development even my quality of sleep physical activity emotional balance and friendship all because i wanted to do a fantastic job for my customers clients or company I work for. I have come to realize that to be brilliant in our chosen field where we are the experts, we have to look after ourselves physically, emotionally, mentally, and spiritually. We need to be more than just knowledge experts. It is very easy to forget ourselves as we get caught up in the doing of helping others. As you can imagine, I could not not talk with you about this because you just you hit the nail on the head and we are as facilitators so committed to doing a brilliant job often at all costs and that's where it goes wrong right we Mm. sacrifice personal time friendships we sacrifice our well-being in in general and if you don't nip it in the butt in time it can really cause some serious trouble Mm. Have you experienced that yourself? And if so, how did you transcend that? Ooh, so actually, as you read that back to me, it's really interesting hearing your words read back. I was like, oh yeah, I wrote that. And I wrote it when, on a piece of reflection, when I realized I was gonna leave the corporate world. So when I was at Diageo, I was absolutely, blessed to have a job called global sales capability manager wow and what what that yes it sounds very grand and what that actually means was i was working with lots of different markets that had big presence with diageo the drinks brands 
and I would go into markets and I'd stay there for a week and I'd run a series of workshops, work with the sales directors and leaders there and support them in creating their, what they needed for their sales teams. But what this often looked like in reality was I would fly out on a Sunday day or night to mm -hmm. get to a location. I'd then work Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. I'd be dealing with a time shift. You're working for a drinks company, so you're expected to go out into trade, so to go and see the pubs or the restaurants or the hotels mm -hmm. each night, then get back up and deliver content the next day. I'd then fly home on a Thursday night and maybe land in on a Friday morning. At that time, it was a good 12, 13 years ago, I partied pretty hard. So I'd then catch up with my friends on a Friday night. Mm -hmm. I'd then play hockey all day Saturday, catch up with my hockey friends on Saturday night and potentially get back on an aeroplane again on Sunday. And I, it was really strange. When I, the year I decided to leave Diageo, um, I didn't know it was, this was going to happen. And in the December time, I brought a diary and I've never done that before. And I started to write a diary for the first time ever in 2007. And it's probably the one year I've only ever written a diary. And I kept track of um, what I was doing, where I was going. And that year I spent 50% of my time out of the country. But I remember just reading back some of the um, antics and activities I got up to. Mm. And it was really obvious. I was A, incredibly unhappy, B, in a place of just trying to prove myself in the workspace and corporate because I thought that's what I had to do. Mm -hmm. um, I was also going through a personal learning in that I was doing my uh, NLP masters. Right. And I think that probably helped me start to notice what I was really like. So A, it helped shine a light on my gifts and what I was good at, but it also helped me start to recognize probably what a bonkers life I was living. Mm. And that wasn't great. Yeah, and so I think that whole work-life balance, which was an imbalance, was probably the start. I didn't, I didn't use that diary or anything to recognise I was out of balance and think, right, I must do something about this and resign. The decision to leave actually came through a workshop I did for a friend as a favour. And you had to... We were working on outcomes for the day. And so I just facetiously wrote an outcome, Christoph, which said it's April 2009 and I'm an NLP coach and trainer mm -hmm. earning £5,000 a month. I thought that was an utterly outrageous thing to write. But by the end of the workshop, I was like, oh, mm -hmm. I really want to do this. This actually feels like a right decision, but it was so far removed from anything else that I've ever done before at that point in my life mm -hmm. but it felt really weird and quite scary and you must be so glad you did oh my gosh yeah it's um i'm into year 12 of working mm -hmm. for myself and actually i think by the end of this year it'll be a 50 50 split of corporate life mm -hmm. and working for myself life and what do you mean by the we need to be more than knowledge experts what's the more there well i I wonder, and some people might not agree with me, I do wonder if some people choose to leave the world of corporate and set themselves up as a trainer because they're really good at something, whatever field they choose to be, finance, marketing, sales, mm. leadership. But I, I don't think that's enough now to sort of separate out the good from the great when it comes to coaching and training. I think you need, you can't just be the content expert and you know how to run a workshop or a bit of virtual training. I think there has to be that ever-evolving self piece and 
going and doing more learning around you. So whether that's embodied facilitation, systemic constellation, mm-hmm. go deeper into your coaching field and become a, like the master coach. I think there's this piece around, you know, really understanding how mindfulness and meditation can support us mm. um, or the yoga or your Pilates. I think that is what I mean by you've got to go more. I mm. don't think all the facilitators and trainers and coaches I know who I think are brilliant aren't just content experts. They've done something else to evolve themselves. And say I'm listening to this and I'm thinking, Ooh, should there, is there a more that I should be aware of? How would I go about exploring that? Is there a, a 10 step process or something that, yeah, it's like, <laughs> give me the steps. Uh, or is it um, something that's usually pointed out to us by people we, we serve and who reflect something back to us that we're not aware of or how, in your opinion and experience, how does one become clearer on that being more? Yeah. Great question. I think, well, I can talk from my personal experience and noticing of others. A lot of us have maybe mentors or I call them the wise ones who are just a, probably 10 years into their journey above ours. Mm-hmm. And I've always looked at what they do or spoke to my mentors and had conversations with them and seeked their guidance. Mm-hmm. And that's where my continuous learning has often come from in that yeah, my mentor, she, her awesome woman called Helen Jane Nelson, and she um, gifted me a coaching se- session using systemic constellations. Right. At a point in my life where I was just incredibly sad. My mom had passed away two years prior, and I hadn't processed the grief. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought I had, but everyone around me were like, uh, yeah, Kirsty, you think you have, but you haven't. And so she gifted me this amazing coaching session and um it really opened my eyes to another world another practice mm-hmm. and i think that happens for some people we sometimes stumble across something that we know has a resonance um i was speaking with another facilitator today called lucy taylor and her thing is around improvisation and she just said she read a book and met a girl and it was you know the conversations she had suddenly made her go this is where i want to go this is a path i want to study and follow yeah. i think that's often what happens is we we might use our wise ones, our our elders to guide us, or you might stumble across something and you just feel in your gut that there mm. is a, a path to be followed here. So it's about keeping an open mind to evolving, I suppose. Yeah, definitely. Irrespective of, of what the angle might be. Do you think that there's a spiritual aspect to growing as a learning and development facilitator that's evolving and you know changing the way we show up in the world and serve the world is that is that something that's kind of I wouldn't want to use the word preset but I guess I've just done but it's almost like there's there's a trajectory that you're on and it's only normal that you're going to evolve and and meet the next best or biggest version of yourself Mm. and, and that you need to you know, keep an open mind, like I said, um, because mm. it will help you greatly and, and therefore the people that you come in contact with. Or is it just, no, this is what you're good at, this is your talent, and that's, that's where that ends? So I remember reading a book called The Celestine Prophecy, and mm-hmm. I'm sure 
some of your listeners will have heard of it as well. And one of the things that struck me was how, and I can't remember the author's name, he spoke about um, when you meet people, have an open mind because you might be, you're often meeting them for a reason. Mm-hmm. So I started to play with that idea and I thought it was really fascinating. Mm-hmm. So whenever I met people I sort of thought were really interesting, I would stay in contact with them. So that was one thing. But mm-hmm. you, I think what you just said in terms of being open-minded and curious is really, really important in our field as a way of facilitating and training, but also probably as a way of life. Because if you don't have that way of, being and you sort of stay in that very fixed Mm. um what's her name's works you know fixed versus growth you stay very fixed and just go no i'm good at this and this is how i do it Mm -hmm. you will never i don't you'll be fine for a couple of years but then i think you'll stop evolving Mm. so i do think there is this piece around go with it and and i'm if you speak to any of my friends who knew me really well say 2006 2007 I know I've definitely shifted as a personality and as a style. And I would say all my sharp corners have definitely softened. The male energy that I lived in <laughs> at that time has been balanced more with my female energy. Right. Um, I'm definitely more vulnerable as a person since um, I left the corporate world. I've learned how to cry, which I would never do before, and cry openly and just be okay with that. I'd never have done that in the world of corporate. So I do think there is an openness that's needed. You use the word spirituality. And for me, it's not, for me, it's not about believing in a God. It's about the universe energy. Mm, And I do genuinely believe that we're all connected somehow. And there are those connections. So that's when you meet someone, there's often, you sometimes just click and you can just talk so easily and everything Mm. flows or you're standing in a workshop and you can just feel the energy in the room and you can read it and if you allow yourself to sense it it works Mm. absolutely let's talk about energy a little bit more in a moment but first i'm thinking have you ever come across people who were evolving but couldn't make sense of that transition because they didn't quite understand why suddenly they no longer felt inspired by doing something they had been doing for five years or, or, or the way they had been doing it and actually became, yeah, something and someone different and came to you for advice. The reason I'm asking, Chris, yeah. is because if I can just back this up with a little bit of personal information, I used to be much more fireworks, rah-rah trainer, kind of, you know, out there, extroverted. And then because of the everything that I've spiritually gone through and, and transcended, I have become much calmer. Mm. And I really enjoy that calmness. Mm. However, that transition, although it was slow and easy enough for me, it was not necessarily easy to implement that in the work that I did because people would hire me for you know for a certain energy and then I actually came and I did it I was I started doing it differently and and mm. it was about making sense of the changes both for me the clients and mm. also the people who come to your workshops because they notice the difference yeah and I, under- I understood what was going on but I can imagine I guess this is my point I can imagine that not everyone understands that yeah well Actually, you just probably made me think of something that I hadn't really appreciated before in that now when I meet 
people looking to move out of the corporate world and coming to be like work for themselves in whatever guise that is, or even new to our trainers and facilitators. Mm-hmm. I can now sense when they're going through that transition and it mm. seems blindingly obvious for me because there's sort of emotional cues that are showing up, a curiosity and incitement and then a complete fear. And then they make a few steps forward and they might take a step backwards. So you've just made me realize I sort of can notice that now for people. And maybe the com- they come to me for a conversation. They don't really know why to begin with, or they know they want to just seek, often it's Kirsty, can I just um, seek some advice from you? And then that's when I notice, yeah. you know, they're going through a shift mm-hmm. for themselves. Um, and also that I'm saying it's about new to world people, but then I've had other facilitators and trainers who've been doing what they've been doing for a while. And we have very similar conversations and sometimes you just don't know when you're in that space of transition and it's always useful for someone from the outside looking in just to reflect back and notice mm. what, what you're noticing to them. And sometimes I say to them, well, maybe you've grown too big for your box and it's time that you found a new box, mm-hmm. a new space to play in. Mm. It's a journey um, into expansion, isn't it? Yeah, mm. indeed. And that piece you said as well about how your transition was slow and I look back, so, so has mine been. And I n- know that I facilitate in a different style now to the way I did 12 years ago, mm-hmm. definitely. Let's come back to energy. I feel it would be useful to our listeners to talk about energy a little bit more because some, okay. some people might think, ah, is that what happens? You know, um, I can resonate, I can relate to that. Um, so, for example, the days leading up to an event, you think you are, so you're giving a workshop or you're facilitating a talk or whatever, you might be thinking, oh, I'm feeling a bit nervous and, and I'm used to that. But actually, it turns out that you're already tuning into the energy of that upcoming event. Mm. And the reason I'm sharing this is because when I learned to distinguish between what was my fear and what mm. was other people's energy, because it could be the dread of having to come to a workshop or, or the travel that, was in, you know, that comes with that or whatever, uh, being away from family, et cetera, et cetera. I had to establish the boundary because you can only focus on, on what you can focus on and what's yours. So mm. I found that tremendously helpful. So that's one example of energy awareness. And I found that working with fellow facilitators at bigger events or fellow associates, et cetera, the more I talk about this kind of stuff, the more I see their ears prick up. And it's like, mm. oh, okay, that's a little mm. bit woo-woo. It's a bit, mm, bit, bit out there. But actually, I find it helpful listening to you. So it's yeah. almost like we need to have those conversations a lot more. Um, yeah. It's just how. Can we do it in a way, though, that you share with people how you manage your own energy, as you say, in the Mm. lead up to an event, like what practices you use um, before, during and after, Mm -hmm. so that people, even if they're not too sure what's going on with their own energy, they can start practicing, that might give them, they might then start to notice a shift in their energy, Mm. or in that they suddenly it feels cleaner, clearer, uh, they feel less tired at the end of a session. Yes. So maybe sharing some practices mm. would be useful because that way people will just go and play and test, can't they? Absolutely. And then kind of break it, you know, break it down in that way. Yeah. Mm. 
or you can spend all day with a group of people. Everything is going well, the workshop's going well, the talk's going well, whatever your gig might be. And you leave that event and you feel either very energized or completely depleted without a good reason. Um, And you think, what went on? And then often it turns out that actually there's been an energy transfer from you to the audience and you didn't and vice versa definitely and you've been either either you've impacted them or you've been impacted by them and you didn't quite manage that flow of energy or that energy exchange Um, and that that's something else that I on a daily basis have to work with so one of my teachers once spoke about how the Hawaiians have a belief that um, when you form a relationship with someone you create an energy connection from your belly button to their belly button. Mm. Quite a nice visual. And depending on how long and how intimate and how deep your relationships are, depends on the strength, will depend on the strength then of your cord. And there is a Hawaiian tradition, especially around uh, resolving unresolved relationships, where um, you have a cutting of the tie ceremony, so metaphorically. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's something I think, if you just took that as a an idea imagine you going into a workshop and you're working with 12 20 50 100 people it's you one to many so you are naturally giving out your energy so and people will latch on to it to a greater or a lesser extent so when we leave a workshop or we leave an event one thing to consciously do is cut those energy ties otherwise people will still be holding on to your energy Mm. there are different ways to do that we'll all have different ways so one as you're leaving the room the actual line you could sort of thank thank the group for the work today um, and then leave behind what is theirs and take with you what is yours Mm. you could do a you could imagine that you have made all those connections through your belly button and the cords and and do a cutting in your head and your heart and be grateful you could have a white light shower Mm. which many people will have heard of before so just imagine yourself bathed in white light um, from the top to the bottom Mm. another thing is go and take a physical shower actually go and wash or bathe in water and one of my lovely lovely friends laura beckingham would talk about baths and epsom salt baths and talk to you about the properties of that for me it used to be going for a run uh, or going to do some form of exercise is another way for me to shift the energy at the end of a day or an end of a session mm-hmm. i think it's important to find something that works for you but just jumping in a car driving straight home getting on a train Mm-mm. i think we'll all feel quite lethargic at the end of that it's, so then not, it's not a good idea <laughs> yeah no. Where you can feel it, it hurts. I discovered that the, um, the hard way, a couple of years ago, I had been focused. I, I wasn't delivering a workshop, but I mm-hmm. had been very creative all afternoon. So I was actually working from home. And it's, it's a similar energetic point that I'm about to make. Where mm-hmm. I, um, so I was very much in my zone and all the spiritual juices are flowing and you're feeling very blissful etc etc and you you work on your stuff and then I went to visit a friend who lives on the other side of town and Mm. I jumped on a rush hour tram and within five minutes of that journey I had the worst panic attack ever in that I probably got onto that tram all Mm. 
chakras wide open, whatever yeah. one wants to call it, or whatever it works. I don't know how it works. I don't think anyone knows the intricacies of, of energy. But I do know one thing. I was literally flooded with other people's energy and probably mm. in, in an office all day, probably not in the best frame of mind, bringing their stuff into that tram space. And because I hadn't protected myself, it's not a nice word to use, but I hadn't put the right boundaries in place i suppose energetically it did affect me and it it, it feels like a, a drop in your blood sugar levels uh, yeah which it, it it can be but it wasn't it was a pure energetic response to to the to the environment wow. so lesson learned it's all about protecting myself um yeah. in a way that's that's right and one of the ways that i do is i have um, an australian bush flower spray a room mm. spray that I have, and I literally walk through um, a little bit of spray, like the mist, before I leave my apartment, and that's my mental and emotional and spiritual nice. shield, so to speak. And and I use that to clear to cleanse rooms between workshops as well. I find it very helpful because that way, say you have multiple workshops in one day in in the same boardroom or whatever, mm. the the next group does not have to sit in the previous group's energy. Mm. Nice. I use um, white sage, mm-hmm. and, and though I do sort of just take a bit of a risk because it's got smoke associated with it, I'm not going to pick it off with smoke alarms. Yeah. yeah, but it works, but, right? And it matters. Yeah, and I think it does. And I think that's the thing. At the end of the day, um, it doesn't matter what other people think. It's it's for you, right? And it's how you how it helps you set yourself and recreate the space and the energy. It's how you keep yourself in a peak performance state. Yeah. You know? No way no. you can handle anything that might come at you, and it does come at you. <laughs> and yeah, the, the thing is, usually we are unaware of it. That's the thing. And let's just add this to the conversation. People say, "Oh, you know, it, it might be difficult to be an LND professional because you're up against so much, you know, objection and feedback from people all the time, and and they might not be, they might not not always be happy to be in the room, etc., cetera, etc." Cetera. But actually, what you're up against is not what they say; it's what they're not saying yeah it's the energy that they're bringing from their personal slash business lives that you if you are a bit more energetically fine-tuned you just you scan them you scan those people there and then and you pick up so much information which can lead to a sensory overload i suppose which can make you you know feel off balance and and give you these wobbles sometimes as a facilitator and it's it's very tricky and and i find that the more empathetic one is the more prone you are to being affected by energy from other people. Yeah. You also have these conversations, and I love this because I got this from your website, mm-hmm. in chairlifts on ski slopes. <laughs> and talking on a chairlift is amazing. And I agree with you 100% because I've done it for so many years. I love skiing. Too. Yes. There is something about talking on a chairlift. And you do this during your retreats and i believe you have one coming up in march the mountain perspective retreats yes so i will be very honest this is new for 2019 and this is an idea i've been carrying and holding for nearly 12 years because of skiing and it's really really come and crystallized in the last three years i think probably because i'm dating a and i'm with a french ski instructor so Mm -hmm. i have lots of yummy time in the mountains and what i've realized is mountains are this they're so grand and they're so solid and they give us a perspective 
and a refuge at the same time. So there's a concept in geography that I learned about last year called um, perspective and refuge. So this is where you architects, geographers, you stand at a high point and you can look out and you see the perspective of the land that you gain refuge by having something solid to your back. So that could be a chair, a chairlift, I guess, a building that you're in, but you feel safe enough that you can look out onto an amazing view or an amazing vista. Mm. And I started to have conversations with a few people of, that's what happens for me when I'm standing at the top of a mountain or I'm sitting on a chairlift. And I suddenly realized, you know, I can be thinking about work, I can be thinking about something, a problem, an issue. And often it gets a little bit clearer because I just have this space and I just have a very clean view, if there's a bit of sunlight. And um, it allows me just to work things out. Mm. The other thing I've recognized is that when you're actually skiing or snowboarding or even walking down a hill, you often do it in silence and in your own head and your own space. So you can go into a state of flow very easily. And suddenly, again, I make connections really easily in my head when I'm just sort of whizzing down a slope. So I'm not thinking about how I'm skiing or boarding, I'm just doing it and therefore mm. processing other things at the same time. And then as you reference, sitting on a chairlift, you can, I think it's the same as driving a car, often people look forwards, so you're not looking someone directly in the eye. Mm. And then often the conversations that evolve on a chairlift can start off with a, did you have a good night? And you can suddenly be talking about, I don't know what are some of the subjects we've spoken about, I don't know, the, and it, it could be any of the conversations you and I have had today. You suddenly start talking about energy, you talk about healing, you could talk about mm. yin yoga. I've been doing sound bowl therapy up in the mountains uh, uh, this year. But you just have amazing quality conversations because I think you feel safe and comfortable because you're all just traveling in a direction that's going forwards in a mm. beautiful setting. So I decided to test the idea and bring to life a four-day retreat called the mountain perspective whereby like-minded souls who want to come together and have really good quality conversations so the conversations will start over breakfast as they normally do followed by a morning of skiing or boarding together on very easy slopes just greens and blues but there'll always be a question that you're holding because mm -hmm. often there's a question that needs answering in all our lives at any given point in time whether it's around your business around you personally and then we'll do a morning of probably quite meditative coaching orientated activities with skiing included mm -hmm. have a lunch together and then the afternoon is your own so if you want to go off exploring and skiing or if you want to just go back to your apartment and cuddle up with a book or just yep. sit with your up and then we come back together in the evening we might do some yoga meditation i found some a lovely couple who do sound baths, which I'd love to bring to them to people mm -hmm. uh, to experience. And then we'll have a lovely meal together and continue our conversations. And it just repeats three times. Mm, it sounds wonderful. <laughs> and, uh, just, uh, just to be on a chairlift and to talk with someone and to do that in a, such a, because one thing that comes to mind, Kirsty, is, is the silence. Oh. It's yes. That, oh, it's it's um I was going to use the word it's like being in a vacuum, but it's not that. It's it's about yeah. being in a it's it's a very connected, it's a sacred, that's the word. It's a sacred space, I find. Oh, because, I got so goosebumpy. 
they are the mountains are so majestic the whole the scenery is just beautiful yeah even when it gets cloudy and, and <laughs> windy and stormy and because a, a ski as you very well know a ski slope can transform within minutes yeah. from something very blissful to something rather like get me the hell out of here situation but still it's about surrendering surrendering oh that's a good word mm. and i think just as you were talking about you know the weather mm. conditions changing i think that's where you totally trust yourself you mm. trust the mountain trust your instincts as you say you surrender to what is because you will be okay because you'll always but always teach people about the safety of being on a mountain sure. and I'd never yeah. let anyone just go off on their own yeah. and explore without knowing that they know the mountain code and the mountain the skiing etiquettes but there is something really powerful about suddenly being in a storm or being caught in low cloud and yeah. what it makes you do and how you suddenly learn to trust all your senses mm -hmm. and trust yourself and then I think lessons come from that experience totally um, mm. when Especially you're balance physically oh. and mentally is you know a ski slope is the best teacher really no but anyway that's the plan for mountain perspective so anyone listening fancies joining us or just hearing more it's happening in march um the other thing i've done as well christoph i've done it around the equinox which mm. i haven't really told people about so i decided to do both the retreats this year around the um spring and autumn equinox because that would be a 50-50 of daylight. And there's also the new moon around then as well. Mm -hmm. And I just thought there would be some, I don't know what it is, but I'm sure there'll be a magical energy that will show itself. There will be, and you can definitely create it as well. So yeah. it's, it's a co-creative process. When you bring a group of people together and you, you have such a beautiful program on offer, you create and the universe creates with you. That's yeah. my experience. So if people want to get in touch with you, Kirsty, the best way is my email address probably kirsty.lewis at schoolofffacilitation.com and if that they can't find me that way just go to the website school of facilitation and there's a contact page mm -hmm. and you're also on linkedin oh yeah and instagram and twitter <laughs> you're so connected um, <laughs> it's been such a pleasure talking with you today kirsty thanks for sharing your experiences your honesty the tools the insights the energy and I wish you two very successful retreats and please keep doing what you do so beautifully with your guests at your workshops in terms of facilitating on, on all the different levels, mentally, spiritually, emotionally and physically as well. So because it really matters, it makes a difference. And they are, what you're working with is, is the leading edge energy for, and it's the kind of energy and facilitation style that is needed in today's world because people are desperate for a different kind of training and a different style of learning and personal development. So to help build leaders who are experts in that facilitation field is, is so useful it's so good so thank you very much for the work that oh. you do no thank you for having me today that's a i love that conversation thank you Christa. take it take easy care. i hope you've enjoyed listening to this podcast as much as kirsty and i enjoyed recording it if you want to connect with me please visit christophspeasons.com and of course you can also find me on all major social media if you're enjoying my podcast, why not subscribe and share your favorite episodes with your friends and colleagues? That's it for today. I look forward to connecting with you again on the next episode. Bye for now.